Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Welcome to Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we're clearing out our movie backlogs by going year by year, decade by decade, for a century of cinema. I'm Liam. And I'm Ollie. He is. And we're here to guide you through our kind of dusty shelves of backlogs. And I'm going to stop clicking that pen because Ollie's going to tell me off. (laughs) Do you want to do it again? No, I'm fine. That's staying (laughs) in. (laughs) How you doing, man? I'm good, thanks. It seems like only yesterday we were chatting about Wild at Heart. It does, but we both know that was actually about, I think, three months ago, I think. That's how long it's been in normal time. So how's uh, quarantine going for you? Uh, quarantine is horrible. It's been the news is so depressing right now. Um, I know it's so hard to kind of just I don't know concentrate on other stuff. It's not just but stay safe, everybody. Stay inside. So Prince Charles has got it. Yes. Uh, Johnson has got it now. Yes, which I'm not wishing any bad on anyone. <laughs> just might be karma for him saying that he's going to shake hands with people continuously a few weeks ago. Well done, Boris. Well done. I thought of something, because as we're all isolating at the moment, the best thing to do when you're isolating is to kind of watch films, I think, anyway. That might not be the same for everyone. So I've come up with my top 10 pandemic films. Ah, I've got a few that I've been thinking of, actually. Awesome, okay. Shall we go through mine and you can see if they match yours? Go on, then. Okay, so what I've tried to do is not have zombie films there. Agreed. Because... They're even though they are mainly pandemic films, they're not strictly pandemic films. But kind of an honourable shout out at number ten to two films that are kind of zombie films, but they're kind of not zombie films. Which is Twenty Eight Days Later and Wreck. You know the Spanish film. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, isn't Quarantine like the remake? Yeah, I think there was a remake of it. I yeah. never saw it. They're very similar, aren't they? Because it's almost like a rage kind of... Yeah, like a rage virus that kind yeah, of takes over. Yeah, angry. I've not seen 28 Days Late in a long time, but I watched Wreck recently and that's really good. Do you know what? I really like 28 Weeks Later, actually. Who was in that? I never saw that one. Did you not see that? It's Robert no. Carlyle. It's, I, really, I really enjoyed that one. I noticed in the last podcast, every time I say about a film, I just say, oh, I love that film. I really like that film. <laughs> <laughs> And That's then every time one. you talk, I just go, okay, okay, okay. And I'm like, I'm editing it. I'm like, what the fuck am I? Ah, oh, can I not say anything else more interesting than okay? <laughs> Last time recording, I was in a right slump, but I'm feeling happier today. So we'll get over that. Number nine is a film that I don't even remember that well. Yeah. So that's why it's number nine on my list. Cabin Fever. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a good pandemic film. I haven't seen Cabin Fever since like it came out 2002, probably I saw it in. So it might not hold up at all, but I seem to remember it was a good kind of infection film. Well, it got two sequels and a remake. Did it? Yeah, the remake came out like, what, two years ago, I think? I don't think that film exists. I think they just deleted that as soon as it got released. So I think the second film has Ryder Strong in it, who was one of the main people in the first film. Yeah, he was the main guy, yeah. And then I think the third film is unconnected to the first one. Maybe, I haven't seen it, to be honest. And then the remake is just a straight-up remake of the first film, I think. Did Eli Roth do the remake? 
No, he may have produced it, but he because he was he's he did what is it Green Inferno, and he did the other film with Keanu Reeves, where I think two girls like try and kill him or capture him or something. I God, I have no memory of that whatsoever. Go on, what's number eight? Number eight is Barry Levinson, uh, The Bay. Which... Oh yeah, I I have actually seen The Bay. Is that like a found footage one? Yeah, yeah, it's one of the few found footage films that I think actually work. But it's I, you could argue it's not a kind of pandemic film, but it, it does involve like the Centre for Disease Control and stuff like that, so I thought it counted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number seven is Outbreak. Classic Outbreak. Is that the same? Is it the same monkey from Friends? I think it is. It doesn't mean that it definitely is. Do you know, do you know, fa- fun fact... The monkey from Friends is playing Ampersand in the Why the Last Man TV series. Ah, uh, see that you say that's true, but I don't think they'll ever make that TV show. So, <laughs> but I'm I I didn't know how long monkeys live for, but you know, because Friends is like nearing thirty years old now. Are you sure it's the same monkey? I don't know if I believe you. I read this on the internet, and it must be true. <laughs> I read it and didn't check it up, so it must be true. I read it on superherohype.com. I wonder if the monkey's got an IMDb page I can check out. <laughs> it might do. I mean, he's got better credits than most people. Is that the same monkey that's in Ace Ventura? Oh, I don't Spike, it could be. don't know. But I tell you what, I've I've worked with a few um, animal trainers while making films and stuff. And they have worked with a few monkeys. <laughs> they are the oddest people. I've ever... Yeah, they're just bonkers. Have you watched um, Tiger King yet? I have watched I was about to ask you the same thing, actually. Yeah, I, f- I finished it yesterday. I mean, I'd already seen the Louis Theroux yeah. uh, show several years ago, so I was already I already knew who uh, Joe Exotic was. I actually listened to the podcast they based that series on, um, so I did know it going in. I think it was called Something Next Door. I can't remember. But it it's... That guy is such an asshole. Who, Joe Exotic? Yeah. Everyone in that, everyone in that TV show is an asshole. No one comes off in a good light in that. Even the woman. No. no. <laughs> but like, he is entertaining to watch, though. Yeah, I guess he could say he's got a certain kind of. I mean, charisma. spoilers. But he's off-putting though. I just find him off-putting generally. Yeah. I mean, spoilers. He groomed two two young boys for a yeah. start. Uh, and then secondly, he played like this is a big spoiler. But he sang and played the guitar or whatever his his ex his husband's funeral and made it all about himself. Oh, that was the worst thing. So cringe. Apparently, it's come out that he didn't sing those songs. He doesn't sound like him. Right, IMDb, Katie the yep. monkey. Yeah, which is a female monkey, which I didn't know. It was apparently just in Friends. Um, oh, okay. And in the Loop, in Thirty Rock, and in Salmon Cast. So, I don't know. Okay. All right, number seven. Uh, number seven is Blindness. Blindness, have you seen that? Is that one, yeah, with um, the Incredible Hulk guy, what's his name? And Julianne Moore. Yeah, it's got Julianne Moore in it. Mark Ruffalo, is that what you mean by Incredible Hulk guy? Yeah. Isn't Mark Ruffalo in it? Yes, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know who you meant by Incredible Hulk guy. You could have meant anyone. <laughs> like, I thought you meant Lou Ferrigno, yeah. That would be called Deafness. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm allowed to. I'm one of them. I'm a brethren. I'm one of them. You're cutting that out. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, blindness. It's really good. It's based on a Portuguese book. It's about an, a, a, a society suffering an endemic of blindnessness. Blindness. Blindnessness? Yeah, and they lock them all away, don't they? In a, yeah. Great. In job. a facility or something like that, I don't know. Um, what number was on that one? Six is next, I think. No, I think it's five. Is it five? I can't count. Is the Andromeda strain. The Andromeda. <laughs> the Andromeda strain. strain. I've never seen that. Um, all I can say about it is it's a film. It's fine. It's just a classic kind of. If you're going to have a virus pandemic film, I felt like I had to put it in. It's a Michael Crichton book. They're all the same. Like, really. But it's worth watching. Uh, what did I have? Four. I put Contagion. I don't really like Contagion, but I still put it at four. It's a bit vanilla, I thought. I don't know. I thought it was as well. People really loved it, and but I wasn't that into it. And it's kind of before Jude Law became kind of great Jude Law, in my opinion. It was kind of his in, his in transition with Jude Lawness. Uh, number three, Children of Men. Yeah, that's on my list. I loved it. I'm not a massive fan of the director, if I'm honest. Caruso. Really? Yeah, I don't really like him that much. But I did really like Children of Men. My favourite scene in that is when Michael Caine's sitting down to relax and he puts on like... Because it's obviously set in the future, so he would have been our age, like back in the 2000s or whatever. And he listens to like... It's either the Chemical Brothers or the Prodigies just to chill out to. <laughs> like classical music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those films It's for ages not many people had seen it. And um, I think it still holds up, actually. Number two... Uh, it comes at night. Yeah, which I know isn't a massively about the kind of epidemic, but it is set in a world after it. Um, and I just loved it comes at night. That was one of my favourite films that year. Well, favourite horror films at least. Uh, with good old Joel Edgerton. And it's kind of it's it's right in that right in that period of this um, revolution of kind of horror films at the moment coming out. So. Yeah, I need to. I need to see this one. I haven't actually seen this one, so that's going to go on my list to watch. Uh, number one, uh, my favourite pandemic film, uh, Twelve Monkeys. That's that's on my list, hundred percent. Love that film. Also, you've got science fiction in there, time travel. So it's you got Bruce Willis doing great stuff. Yeah, on on form, Bruce Willis. I care about making films. Yeah, absolutely on form, and Brad Pitt as well. He's just amazing in that film. Have you seen the making of the it's Twelve Monkeys and the Hamster Factor or something like that? Yeah, but like I can't. Im- I imagine Terry Gilliam being the most irritating person to work for ever. Yeah, like I, think I so. mean, have you read some of his recent like comments and stuff? Yeah, like I was hoping not to think about that, but he's yeah. kind of showing himself to be an old man, frankly. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, some old men can grow old gracefully. Yeah. Okay. Apparently, an old some can't. I don't know, but yeah. Okay. I don't like it. yeah. But I mean I have I've made no effort to see his previous film, the one with um y- uh, your man from Inglorious Bastards. Uh it's kind of like in the vein of Brazil and Twelve Monkeys. Um You not you don't mean the man who killed Don Quixote, do you? No, not that film. I haven't seen that but one. But that's why you don't mean that. Oh, I think I know what you mean. Was it? Is it called Tideland? Or am I making that? Up? No, I've seen that one. That was quite good. Uh, it is called. 
Zero theorem. theorem. Yeah, I have yeah so it's, I mean, one. it's still about eight years old or something at this point. Yeah, it is 2013. Christoph Waltz, that's who's in it. Oh, Christoph Waltz from Big Eyes. Everyone loves Big Eyes. I still haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I've got it. I haven't watched it. It's so weird. Yeah, I'll tell you, one of mine definitely pandemic films. I, I don't know if you call it pandemic, but it's definitely after something, but The Road. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the, I don't know if it was pandemic or not, but yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the. It's I been a long time cause, since I've watched yeah. it, so I can't remember the cause. But there's a lot of there's hardly any people around, and the half of the people around seem to be cannibals. So yeah. So at the moment, it's like England. I would say. I mean, what happened in Mad Max? What happened to the Earth on Mad Max? I can't remember. Um, I thought it's post-apocalyptic. Is it just post-apocalyptic? I was going to watch... I'm watching Mad Max today, actually. I've got that penciled in. So I'll text The first you. one? Yeah, the first one. The first one, I think, is a bit of a... I wouldn't say a tough watch, but it's... It's very the second. The second and the fourth ones are the best. Yeah, the second Fury one. Fury Road is interesting. And I bonkers. love Fury Road. Not Fury Road. Uh, uh, and, uh, Thunderdome. Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. I used to watch second and third one a lot as a kid. A lot. Do you remember the Castle Main X adverts? I think it was Castle Main X or Foster's, one of the Australian beers. And they, I think it's Castle Main. Yeah, and they, they like spoofed uh, Mad Max. Yes, I do actually. God, that was a long time ago. I'm turning away. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, Jesus, my mind's gone blank. Oh, I was going to say about 12 monkeys. I um, I used to skip school a lot. Did you? I used to, yeah, I hated being in school, so I used to go and do other stuff. And I really remember skipping school to go watch Twelve Monkeys. That was one thing I did at and the cinema. No, I watched it at home. Oh, I was going to say. So I went home and and took my dad's DVD, not DVD, VHS from my dad's collection, and just sat at home and watched Twelve Monkeys instead of going to school. I remember um, we hired it out for our friend Scott Patterson's like sleepover birthday we must have been about 12 and we were all pissed off because there weren't 12 monkeys in it <laughs> you know we were that young that we didn't really understand what was going on you were like where's the monkeys coming up where's clint eastwood so you just been watching movies then to pass your time yeah working writing watching movies i watched harley quinn last night any good i enjoyed it actually yeah i did enjoy it i really like huntress in it I thought I really, really liked Huntress and Black Canary, actually. I really like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed her in um, Fargo Series 3. Yes. Which yeah, again starred Ewan McGregor as well. Mm. Ewan McGregor yeah, was well. so good in it as well. He was having a lot of fun, which is good to see, really. I heard he doesn't wear his mask quite often. And the only time he did was for a reshoot, apparently. Uh, was it a reshoot? He does put yeah. it on, though, so that's good. <laughs> and Zaz is in it as well, isn't he? Yeah, Zaz is basically um, Black Mask's boyfriend, really. Oh, really? They don't kind of explicitly say they're a couple, but both of them, both of them are performing as they're a couple, really. So I'm not sure if it's in the script or not, or if it was something they kind of just kind of came up with on set. I've also heard that about in Jurassic Park: The Lost World that Peter Postlewaite and his right hand man, I think in the book or something, they were meant to be a gay couple but yeah. it's never really mentioned at all in the film yeah they don't mention it at all yeah that is totally true it's a shame they just don't own it and just say yeah it doesn't have to be fucking explicit yeah just 
the character and that's it. Yeah, yeah, just accept it as part of the world. Speaking of that, on the onwards thing was so it's so fucking annoying. The, what the Disney onwards? Yeah, there's a the first first lesbian first gay character in Disney, and it's just a cop who I could not tell you the name of the character who just offhandedly goes, um, "My wife moans about raising kids all the time" or something like that. I can't remember the exact line, but what on hand? It's the kind of I'm really glad they're putting just casual casual kind of world building of gay characters in it which is what they should be doing but the other hand it it really feels like something that was putting so china could easily cut it out and just have the rest of film going on well that feels the same with star wars it happens at the end of uh, rise of skywalker doesn't it i think there's like a lesbian kiss at the end yeah yeah i remember watching that cinema with you and i thought i was waiting for the gay kiss at the end of star wars and when the hobbit guy kissed the slug i thought it was that <laughs> so it was like interspecies and... i was like well you know like and then and then they the actual gay kiss gets less screen time than the slug kiss i know it's like hidden in the background <laughs> i wonder if they'll go the route of if if margot robbie carries on as harley quinn if they'll kind of go the poison ivy they have to and i hope they don't just do the gal pals bullshit like yeah but i think in the intro for I might be wrong on this, so I might have to check. But I think on the intro of Harley Quinn, they show an animated uh, intro about about the character of Harley Quinn, and it shows relationships she's been in, and one of the characters was female, so they oh. do show that she's been in a gay relationship. I think that's true. That might not be right. My favorite thing about the animated intro, by the way, is the Joker in it is totally dressed up like the animated series Joker and not fucking Jared Leto Joker at all. <laughs> They are erasing that as hard as they can. Well, I'm surprised they kept the tattoos on her, to be honest, for this film. I thought yeah. they'd just get... They should have just got rid of them, because I, th- I don't, honestly don't think anybody would have cared. No, at the end of the film, when she's driving, you see that tattoo on her face that says something. Rotten, isn't it, or something? Is it rotten? rotten. Yeah, and it was yeah. so distracting. I was sitting, sitting there going, that doesn't need to be there. It's so overly designed and hot topic yeah. and it's just... Ugh. She's having a lot of fun and she is really good in it and I would like to see more and I'd love to see her and Poison Ivy as a couple. Well, she was one of the highlights in Suicide Squad. Which is a credibly low bar. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who else I liked in Suicide Squad. Courtney Jones. I actually... I did. I thought he was actually... I Courtney. I said his name the wrong way around. (laughs) He's one of those Channing Tatum names like Tatum Channing. (laughs) But he was actually good as Boomerang. Yeah. I wasn't meant to say him. I was meant. I was meant to make a joke about Slipknot. Oh, that guy. I couldn't remember who played him. Corey Taylor. That's it, Corey Taylor. Well, it's not. He's the singer from Slipknot. Bollocks. <laughs> Cut that out. No, that's staying. <laughs> we are talking. We're going to talk 1991. Yeah, that's right. And what was? What's your opinion of film in 1991, Ollie? Was that Robin, the year of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Was it? I think so. I think that may have, that or Terminator were like the highest grossing films of that year. It was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, because this is my favourite period of Kevin Kevin um, Costner, where he just dominates Hollywood in this time period, leading up to the biggest fucking film of all time, which he gets to do twice, frankly. Because he What's does like... Biggest? Well, he does 
Last year was um, Prince of... Oh, my God. Last year was Dances with Wolves. Yeah. And he wins the Oscar for that, I think. And then because of that, he then in 1991 does JFK and Robin Hood. And those make him the biggest actor in Hollywood by far. At that time, yeah. At that time. And so He's... a point where I don't think there's anyone acting right now as big as Kevin was back then. Do you think? He was huge. I just don't think celebrity culture is the same as it was when there was just limited kind of engagement and limited shows and limited like papers and stuff. I guess so. I mean, you you probably get actors like, say, um, Robert Downey Jr. who were successful, but he's mainly successful just for one. So I don't know whether he can command as much money for other projects as he does for, say, just... All right, Doolittle's a very kind of Waterworldish type film, so that I, is quite relatable. I forgot that even came out. <laughs> Honestly, that seems to just that just came and went. I think. Hey man, if if no more films get released this year, then it, it could be the highest grossing. Currently, film. <laughs> I think it's the third, but yeah, it's still up there. But there's a load of good films actually in this year. You got Adam's Family, which I like. Barton Fink, Rocketeer. I love Adam's Family. God, I love Adam's uh, Family. Point Break, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah. Did you say Cape Fear? Oh no, I didn't say Cape Fear, but Cape Fear. King Ralph. Hot Shots. <laughs> Curly Sue. What about Bob? I like What About Bob. <laughs> there's a film called Switch. Which I don't know if I want to go into, but that came out in 1991. Oh, Silence of the Lambs. We forgot that. I fucking love Silence. I was going to go it's, into Silence of the Lambs. How it's a great, great film. that film is. Like, Did it, you say City Slickers? I didn't say City Slickers, but I was going to rant about City Slickers. I had that was in my little notes down here. We'll get to that later. It will come back. It will come. We'll, we'll post. We'll pigeon that here. Put it on the notice board here, and get back to City Slickers. <laughs> Terminator 2, Fisher King. Yeah. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Hook. Don't forget Hook. Hook. Uh, personal favourite of mine, um, My Own Private Heart, Idaho. That was a great film. I, I remember film. when I was a kid, I really wanted to see it. And I'm talking like when I was about six or seven because I love Bill and Ted. And my, <laughs> sis- my sister was like, I don't think you're quite ready to watch that film just yet. I'll tell you which film I like. I like Naked Lunch. Naked that is a Lunch, bizarre yeah. film. I really like, do like my current on both. Yeah. Oh, you had Jungle Fever as well, the Spike Lee film. Oh, yeah, because Jungle Fever actually leads into what we're talking about today. So Spike Lee started having these successes that kind of populate, well, was really popular in like 1989 with Do the Right Thing. And I think the success of that led to being able to produce this film, Boys in the Hood. In South Central LA. Yo, Benito, let's do the local thing. It's tough to beat the streets. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? You shoot the motherfucker. You have to think, young brother, about your future. Man, why are you sweating me? You're my only son, and I'm not going to lose you to no bull. Hey, don't worry about it. I can take care of myself. Trey wanted to work his way up. Trey is a grown man now. He is not a little boy anymore. I heard you like Mr. GQ Smooth now. Maybe some of what you got to rub off on it. Ricky was looking for a better life. I want to do something with my life, right? I want to be somebody. When you were a little boy, I used to run around here all the time with that football in your hand. I always knew you would amount to something. Um, Boys in the Hood, 1991, directed by John Singleton. 
Yeah, R.I.P. Very sad. Very he sad. He only died was it he last was, year. Yeah, he was. He was young as well. Like in like fifty-two. He was like twenty-two when he made this film. I know. So he was straight out of film college or university or whatever. Was it UCL? He went to. I think he went to. Yeah. Not UCL. It's fucking in London. Whatever the California film thing is. But I mean, not only was he young, he was a black man who got to make a Hollywood feature film. Did you not unscrew your beer? <laughs> Wrong beer. Liam, for the audience, Liam went to take a swig out of his beer that he had not opened. <laughs> um, John Singleton. <laughs> yeah, he was the youngest person ever nominated for Best Director at the time. I think rightfully so, actually. I Not to bury the lead, but I really like this film. I it's really, amazing. really liked it. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, he was 24 when he made it. He didn't win. But um, probably could have, could have, and uh, he was the first African American to be nominated for best director as well. I mean, I have some issues with the film, but they're not like deal breakers that ruin no. the film. They're just, they're just oddities, which we'll get into. But the, uh, a lot of my friends who I've spoken to, like I've said, oh, I just watched Boys in the Hood today, and they're like, oh, I love that film, but it's quite cheesy now. And I guess it could be considered cheesy, like looking back, like if you if you see the films that follow, like Menace to Society and stuff like that, a bit more hardcore, that this might seem a bit tame in okay. comparison, yeah, maybe. Sure. But for me, it really worked. No, it worked in every way for me. And I think, I think the cheesiness I was getting from watching it was the fact that it felt a little bit TV-ish. I think that's the... Like, again, like with talking about... Um, Wild at Heart. It's the music. It's got they've got that kind of like now you'd expect a film about a group of black males to have hip hop and stuff like that. Whereas sure. it's kind of got jazzy sax music. Ooh, child. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite scene of the film. I think um it was I think as well it's the it wasn't shot for a lot of money. Yeah, it was like six million dollars. I think maybe. I think which. Um, it was the most profitable film that year. I can imagine. Like it didn't make the most, but I think in terms of budget to how much it grossed, I think it was it made it. It was the most profitable film. If I'm right as well, this what um, I am right. Damn it, I am right. I'm not question myself. I think the person <laughs> at Columbia who found the script, I can't remember her name, but was I it think Jackie it was, Brown. Was it Jackie Brown? I'm I not, think so. We'll go with that. I know it was an African American lady. Who found the script and decided she may be they the, were going to There's someone it. involved called Jackie Brown, but she offered, or they offered, John Singleton a hundred k to not direct the film, just to really? buy the script off him, and he was insistent. He just refused that and said, "No, I'm making this." Which at twenty, what twenty four years old to refuse a hundred k just to get your film produced, so your script gets produced. That takes incredible balls to decide not to take that. Also. I think it was an important film for him because I think it's it's obviously autobiographical to a, a certain to extent. extent. Yeah. So like at the beginning, so it starts off with what's his name? Trey, the main is it Trey? The Trey. main character. Played by yeah. Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think of like the young actors at the beginning? Um really really natural. Yeah, I thought they were good. Really realistic and really just kind of into it. Uh, Although, you, you know word, when but... he goes up in front of the class and he starts, like, yeah. he gets kind of quite confrontational with his other friend. Yeah. 
and they they say he's got a bit of an anger problem. Yeah, which is that classic thing against kind of black males and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it doesn't really. I mean, that didn't come through. I think later on in the film, but I guess that's because of the influences. How his father, his yeah. father has on him. Yeah, totally. But that teacher was an asshole when she phones at the mom. A teach? Oh my fucking god! Yeah. Are you educated? Like, like, yeah. And is there a father around and shit? Oh my god! That shit like that in that, this film. Even the stuff in that scene where he stands up, like. Like, I think if a kid was white and you just shouted a lot out in class, it was just, oh, he's, you know, too enthusiastic. But because he's black, he's like got an anger issue. And how dare you? And do you want to go do this? And then it all then it starts that weird argument as well about he was explaining that everyone in the world's from Africa and the, the kids at the front saying, I'm not from Africa. Like, And it even comes into that social problem about the or not social problem, but social issue about how you see your lineage. And that's like the first scene, really. But but this goes into like the how he's basically writing his life. If he's that kind of person to not take a thousand hundred thousand dollars to direct the film, he's that kid who will go up in front. Yeah, he's gonna take chances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the first thing they do is they go and see where someone got shot. Yeah, which um two points on that. One, do you think the the dead body was the guy that Lawrence Fishburne shot at the door? Oh, you're talking about that dead body. I'm thinking about earlier on where they see just gunshots and stuff when they cross the police line. But this is before oh, he God, moves to his yeah, dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right at the beginning, isn't it? But I never thought about that, you know. Because I, I think the shoe is outside Lawrence Fishburne's house and I think the body doesn't have a shoe on it. I need to rewatch that. That's a good point. I assumed it was those lads. But yeah, it could be the, the guy that Lawrence Fishburne shot. Actually, he's not Lawrence Fishburne in this. He's Larry. Larry. He's Larry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry Fish. I wonder at what point he decided, I'm, I'm no longer Larry, I'm a Lawrence. I don't, probably around this time, because, I mean, if I'm very honest, Lawrence Fishman didn't fall onto my radar until Matrix, really. I think. Well, yeah, he, I mean, he'd been in, what, Apocalypse Now and stuff like that. We were too young to have seen those films at that point. But if there's one issue I have about this film, and don't get me wrong, I think Lawrence Fishburne is really good in this film. He's like five years older than Cuba Gooding Jr. Well, he's only meant to be seventeen years older than him, isn't he? Yeah. So when he's when he's with the younger son, I think that's fine. But as soon as it's Cuba Gooding Jr., who again does not look seventeen, he looks twenty-five. Yeah. Well, yeah. It does not look like there's an age gap between yeah, them sure. at all. Like, and it, the only thing they they change on Lawrence Fishburne is, I think, a bit of grain his beard. He wears glasses when he's older, and instead of wearing like cool kind of night clothes or whatever he wears a cosby sweater <laughs> but he's only meant to be what 32 i know he's supposed Is to be younger but that's why the, the age gap thing looks weird but I guess, I guess i guess i it took me a while to realize cuba was meant to only be kind of 17 have you seen um don't be a menace in south central while drinking, drinking the juice, in, juice the hood. in the hood i've seen it while stoned so <laughs> the main lad in that his name is ashtray Okay. And he and his dad keeps getting younger. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> it is a good joke. I love that film. <laughs> it's funny. I've got to stop saying that. I love that film. I love that film. That's your catchphrase, dude. But like, um, oh god, I could talk about the opening scene forever. I love how, as you say, the first scene is they see the violence in their neighbourhood, the gunshots, the police, and stuff like that. And just this general sense of kind of anger to the and the violence that these kids are growing up in, 
immediately you cut into the origin myth of America with this white teacher telling you about this bullshit story about this is why America exists because because people because the natives fed us food um, and the pilgrims are very nice and now we have America kind of thing. Yeah. And it's that immediate cut to the bullshit that America sells you when you're living in it, like the bullshit of how the American dream and how everything's going to be perfect and stuff. And I thought it was such... Straight away, I was like, I'm on board with this fucking film. <laughs> like... So when you go when you go back to... You were talking about the guy that Larry shot. So the police come round. Yeah, it takes them hours. And... But they they subvert it, and the white cop is the kind of normal subdued guy, and the black cop is really intense. And I don't understand what they're trying to get out with that. I mean, I don't. I am. Um, I listen to another podcast called Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, and they look at um, African Americans in Hollywood and see what like African American films are and stuff like that. And they do a lot of stuff on Will Smith and stuff like that. And they their episode on Boys in the Hood is wonderful, and. Um, and they say that even today, the idea of a black cop is scarier than the white cop. So like the white cop will give you anger, but it's the black cop is is like you're letting him down in okay um, by him having to be there, him having to go to the hood, him having to kind of turn up. He's 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 like more angry and be more kind of officious about it, which I thought was a fascinating, really, as a take. But when I was watching it, what I thought was that. Um, it kind of just showed the institutionalized racism that's in the society anyway. Like, okay. uh, like no matter your color your skin, once you get in this kind of police corps and you, once you get into kind of law enforcement, you're just surrounded by this institutionalized kind of mess of, of the you're sit you're no longer seeing people as people, but you're seeing them as the issues of the of the hood and stuff like that. And and it made it's made the black cop even worse like he's not your friend just because he's black he's 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 a policeman and he's not your friend he's not going to help you like but like jumping ahead that's a really intense scene later on when he shoves the gun in cuba good in junior yeah yeah and he hadn't done anything wrong yeah and it's just insane i think this film is more ballsy than people realize yeah or give it credit for now maybe especially for 1991 because if you think about it films weren't made for this audience back then like you had Eddie Murphy movies in the eighties, and then before that you had the black exploitation films where they were running around with afros and guns and kind of like they were spies or kind of undercover agents and stuff like that. This is the first time that that they feel like they're being represented on screen in a real light, and it's you know like how clerks would be for us, like just two white slackers working in a convenience store. This is how sure. their real life is. Do you know what I mean? And I thought that was what I really. I think I think it's something I I feel like I want to address now is the fact that there's a reason why I never watched this film. I mean, the whole podcast is about films we haven't watched, but I think yeah. for a large way I never watched this film because I thought it wasn't for me. I just had it in this I would say probably racist mindset that this film was a film for black people, for maybe people who grew up in kind of that situation in America, and it wasn't for me. It wasn't for like a white geeky kid who grew up yeah, in yeah, fucking yeah. Birmingham, and I. That has stopped me enjoying something that which I I think was fantastic and I wish I'd seen years ago. And it's such a bullshit, it's such a bullshit idea that this film gets put as a black film when it is no, it's not. It's a social film. It's a crime film. It's a gangster film. It's it's no different to any of those films. And the idea that I don't watch this because it's not for me is is like saying that, like. The Irishman would speak to me better because I'm Irish or something like, which is 
rubbish. <laughs> like, it's but this, this happens idea. all around us. I mean, you only have to go to Birmingham, in Erdington, in Aston. These things happen, like in poor areas. Do you know what I mean? Between white people and black people. Yeah, there's poor areas everywhere. I was, I got mugged in Aston at Knife Point. And yeah, the guy was an asshole for doing it. But at the same time, I don't know what he's been through. To, no. You know, he probably has been through some shit that he he felt the need he had to do. Well, that's Ice Cube. Ice Cube, so good in this film. The, his last line of the film is just wonderful. When he's like, either they don't care or they don't know what's going on. That's the only explanation why things don't get sorted. And it's the same everywhere. Poverty begets kind of violence, begets anger begets the dark side no no begets like this kind of cycle of hatred yeah and this cycle of just kind of stuff and nothing gets fixed in that because no external forces are trying to help and no matter how good they were trying to be they still get trapped in this cycle of violence which is the same as any mob film that's ever existed any kind of crime film that's ever existed but this does that story just wonderfully i just want to say about kind of the idea black and white films as well is the fact that i think I got this, this is a take from um, uh, the wonderful podcast, Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, but he was saying that he thinks a lot of white people probably don't like to watch this because they say that they're not represented on screen. And um, he made the point that he has a feeling that most white people won't watch films like this, not because they're not represented on screen, but actually because they know where they're represented on screen and they don't like to admit to it. They know in this this film they're the kind of society behind the picture. They're the people who are not helping and or not caring, and yeah. they know the film's telling you that. Like in the same way that to white America, to white Hollywood, uh, films about slavery are so much more kind of consumable because you can blame that racism on the past. You can say that was that was my ancestors a hundred years ago, two hundred years. That's nothing to do with me. But this film sticks it right in your face and says those issues are still happening now, and you have to care about it now. And I mean, one thing this film's I, thirty years old, but it's still happening. It's... I was gonna say exact same thing. I couldn't believe how much I was watching it and how much it sang to exactly right now. It this does not feel exactly like it's aged. It no. feels like this could have come out yesterday. Absolutely, I mean, there's no difference, which is so sad that we have, we've made no difference since then. Yeah, I just thought that was it's wonderful. What a wonderful film. Um, the one thing that confused me was so Doughboy. Oh, first of all, Doughboy was my nickname when I was younger by Robert Kenyon's family. So I don't know why I wasn't a fat kid or anything, but they used to call me Doughboy. So whenever I used to phone up, be like Doughboy's on the phone. <laughs> so anyway, did you look a little bit like Ice Cube? <laughs> I was a dead ringer for him. Um, I was rapping all over the place. Um, I love Ice Cube in this film. You don't. So so you have one scene where. Doughboy, Trey, and the other kids are hanging out. Then it cuts to them fishing with his dad, and then it oh, comes yeah. back on his way back from the fishing trip, and he's being arrested. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, you yeah. don't see anything. You don't see what happens, or they're fucking, you? yeah, they're carting away like what they're meant to be ten year old kids or something in fucking handcuffs. But they yeah, say but... they robbed a store, don't they, on the way back? Is that what they've done? Yeah. And, we, I think they said like we 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 stole something or something like that. They say like. And do they get seven years for that? I don't think they get put away. I think it's just juvenile. They get put on. Oh, because I assumed that party they had was them coming out of prison. That's what well, I thought. I didn't think about that. I just thought it was just meant to be a party. If I'm honest, I was going to say the the childhood thing before we get off it. Um, 
the whole of this film is is like a black standby me. Did you get that? Oh, 100%. The bit where they're walking on the railroad tracks and they're looking... Do yeah. you want to see a dead they body? they go and find a body. And yeah, even yeah, the like... end where it says, Trey yeah. grew up to the little you know, do well at college and then sadly Doughboy passes away like two weeks later. Do you know what I mean? I think it was two days later. I think he was shot. I think it's yeah, exactly. Later. It was such a smart thing for John Singleton to do. Is kind of echo that kind of like that stand by me in this film. I think that worked so well. Oh, a hundred percent. It's just a more brutal version of it. I don't well, like it's, a it's more not comfortable white America. Is it like? I was going to say as well. Cause you talked about the barbecue scene, and I really liked that barbecue scene. I think they call it a cookout, but like barbecue and um i feel like we should be drinking 40 ounces right now but um yeah yeah 40s is that what they i was gonna ask you is that what they were holding that's what they drink is that a 40 um i think um, what's been going through society at the moment is people like like white women calling the police on black people just hanging out just like having a barbecue in the park and just like shopping and stuff like that and i just thought watching them having the barbecue like it's. I don't think you ever see just kind of in film just black people hanging out like that in a yeah. way that's just 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 you know they're just having a, a barbecue you know and the women are there the boys are there they're trying to flirt they're trying to get like get on they're like taking the piss out of each other and I think scenes like that I don't see a lot in film maybe I'm really ignorant I don't know but I just really liked that whole the whole bit of the film. So do you know which character Dookie is? So he's the one who's got the pacifier in his mouth all the time. Okay, it's that dookie, because the other one was the one in the wheelchair is Chris, isn't it? Yeah, and he's parodied in uh, Don't Be a Menace to Society's yes. Crazy Legs, I think. But um, Dookie, he's the one with the pacifier. And the reason why he wears a pacifier is because it, he turned up to the audition and he was using it to suck on because he was trying to stop right. smoking. So they used it as like a character trait for him. No way. But he There's died a... two years after or three years after this Fuck. film was made really? in, a dry, in a shooting. Fuck. So it's so it's almost like life imitating art. That's in horrid, a way. Yeah. I know the actor Chris was in a wheelchair, and he I was. Think he, I think he talked to John Singleton and just went, "Have you got a role for me?" Basically, so they just went, "Yeah." Like, and I love how they don't really focus on it. There's one line of dialogue, like someone pick Chris up to get him in the house, but I don't think they, I don't think they hark on the fact that he got shot and that's why he's in a wheelchair. They just, I think that's they mention life. I think maybe Larry does. Was he the brother the of end. someone? Because they do mention that someone, one of the brothers, got shot. Or it's just, but the, the dialogue with that, they don't hearken. It's just these. This is life here. This is what how people talk. This happens and stuff. And well, it's like when Cuba Gooding Jr. after he's been to the party, he's just walking home and he saves. The, so he's like, is that after he saves the kid and takes it to the the meth lady? Oh, from the and street, then, yeah. And like a shotgun's just pulled out on him, just because they're having a laugh, and it's like. Uh. This film this was that film. the same. That's that the same people though, with the red um, the red car. Was it them? I can't remember. Yeah, are the people who end up killing Ricky, which is the only thing I knew about this film going in that Ricky gets shot in it. To be was... honest, you can call it from the moment the film starts. The moment you find yeah. out he's got a kid and he's about to oh, go that... to uni on a scholarship, you that know he's a goner. That scene with the employer, uh, the well, no, that not the no recruiter from the college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, it's kind of it's weird because the the guys on the on outside are kind of weirdly aggressive to him, but I think they're trying to just be friendly. But I think like 
like it's a weird kind of hostile environment for this guy. Well, he he comes from a different side. He's black as well, but he's totally from a different place and time than they are. So they they're to they don't relate. And when 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 uh Ricky says that's my kid the guy judges him so fucking much but i couldn't tell if it was like judging him or just really sad like oh shit this guy this guy getting nowhere kind of thing it was just a kind of like oh fuck like i kind no of got an in between kind of the thing. two kind of yeah because right. he assumes it's his brother straight away doesn't yeah, he? yeah yeah younger brother or something yeah and he's just he kind of ah oh, i just feel like again he does not look 17 though <laughs> <laughs> That's a Morris Chestnut, isn't it? This yeah. film launches just so many careers. Uh, Cuba Gooding, it's basically his first film. I think he had some roles beforehand, but it's basically his first film. It's definitely the first film Ice Cube did. And I think since this, you can't just call him like a rapper. He's definitely an actor. And, and well, John Singleton you know, like, wanted him for this film. Yeah, yeah. And he's so good at it. Angela Bassett, it was her first big film role. She had been like in bit roles before. Well, but... uh, apparently Lawrence Fishburne wanted her. He said, that's who you should get. And that's how she got cast. And she is just great in this film. Complicated character as well. Like... I'm sure I heard Ice Cube say, fuck with the police at one point. Did he? Oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> I was going to say, I think, um, I think Ice Cube, you know, not a single person from this cast got acting nominations in the Oscars. Not a single acting nom. And I really think Ice Cube should have got one. Cuba Gooding Jr. is good in this film. He's a weird one, Cuba Gooding Jr., because he's in the mid to early to mid nineties. He was really good, and then he just became like this jobbing actor that just did straight to DVD or video films. And I don't understand what happened to I can't, him. I don't know what happened to him either. I don't know what the drop was. Like he played the um, he played OJ Simpson in that TV show, and he was actually pretty good. To be fair, he was good. But um, and I mean his big his big big break though was. Um, Joe McGuire, McGuire, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's weird. I think he kind of took a bit of a turn. To, he tried to not do quote-unquote black films, didn't he? He took a bit kind of... He tried to just kind of broaden himself a bit, and it did work for a while. He's really good in... As good as it gets, he's, he's really good in... Oh, I forgot well. about that. But, but he's in... He's in... Um... Rat Race is the one Both. I always remember. <laughs> no, the Michael Bay film. Pearl Harbor. Oh, he is in Pearl Harbor, isn't he? Yeah. God. But I was um, going to say, like, because I really think Ice Cube should have got nominated for this in Best Supporting Actor. And this was my, I'm taking the little thing out of the notice board, City Slickers. This is my least favourite, well, my least favourite, but Best Supporting Actor win is oh, Jack, Jack Palance. Oh, Jack Palance was fucking, it? I hate it. Not that <laughs> Jack Palance is not fucking awesome, but he has so little fucking to do in City Slickers. And yeah absolutely someone there, there's room on this the best supporting actors section to put ice cube on you got harvey Keitel and ben kingsley from bugsy and i think one of them could have been dropped off for ice cube but this is i think someone said that again on that podcast listen to please listen to this podcast he said that he reckons the when you have films like this which are kind of like black films and black actors doing it i think the academy don't think they're acting I think like they just see four black, you know, young black guys and think, well, that's just what they're like. Whereas these are four like fucking thespians, they're yeah. four actors. They're not like they're they're playing a role here. They're not like just just being themselves. Like, well, if they're not actors, they're at least performers. They you know yeah. they they perform in front of people. They 
There was one bit in early in the film where the ice cream truck drives past. And I had massive flashbacks to an Eddie Murphy stand-up. Because have you ever seen Delirious? Years ago, but I've so, never watched them. Well, no, I was watching. I watched Coming to America recently, which I think is quite a funny film. And then you know how Netflix will automatically play something straight after. Oh, okay. Yeah. It played Delirious straight after, and I forgot how homophobic and racist. Oh, it's the worst. But the only clean bit in it is the bit where he's talking about what it's like to be a kid, and the ice cream truck goes past. And he's like screaming, ice cream! And it just, that bit, I don't know if it was thrown in for that bit or something, but it just just reminded me of uh, Eddie Murphy's Delirious and how different the films that he makes. All right, anyway, back to the film. The one thing that I noticed was, so the settee in um, the household is covered in plastic. Oh, this is my favourite bit of the film. Yeah. I don't know if that was any sort of foreshadowing or something, because... They bring the dead body back. I thought you were gonna say. I thought you were gonna say. By the way, there's a bit where um, I can't remember who it is. I can't remember. I can't remember which character it is. But they sit on the part of the sofa that doesn't have the plastic on it, and Ice Cube yells at them, saying, "Get off the good part." It tells him to sit on the plastic bit, <laughs> which I just loved. I think it's just a thing that some people keep the plastic on. Like I think that's probably just an. It was definitely a '90s thing, though, wasn't it? Yeah, to keep it nice, you know, like, I think that's all it was. I used to have friends that used to keep plastics on. <laughs> like, um, I can't, my friend Ray, was it Ray? And his family used to just have plastic and sheets over everything in the house to keep it, like, nice. And you had to kind of take a sheet off, like, the TV to watch the TV and stuff. So, But speaking of that ending, though, why do you think they pick the body up? Like, shouldn't you, if someone's been shot, shouldn't you leave the body? Where that's, it... I, that's why I love so much, is that they... There's no, but you've already seen that it takes three hours for the cops to get there. Yeah, no one's true. fucking coming. Like no, no, they're on their own. You know, like this. That's it. When something happens, they have to deal with it, and that's how the, and that's how they end up dealing with it. You know, like how covered in blood they are. It's it's quite harrowing. It's harrowing as fuck. And like when you hear the mom screaming and the, and his like girlfriend, it's, huh. And blaming blaming Doughboy, who already throughout the whole film you see that the mom has a preference to Ricky because Ricky can make something of himself, you know? And But also, isn't he from a different dad? Haven't they got different dads? I think he's from different dads. But yeah, I think you just definitely see the mom has a favourite and she's just blaming him and yelling at him. Is it Naya Long who plays the mom? Or... No, she plays the... Um, he's, she's Trey's girlfriend. Trey's girlfriend, yeah. And, she, and I just... I, I felt so bad for Doughboy. I love that kind of element, Doughboy, that he's kind of... He's quick to rise and he's quick to anger, but he is very honourable. He's going to protect his friends. He's going to look after everyone and stuff like that. And it's not actually him that immediately starts the the kind of fight with that other group. It's the um, it's Ricky who immediately kind of as aggresses, kind of shouts at them. But Doughboy kind of get like shows his weapon and like you know I'm here kind of thing. And and then when the mom's well, that apparently in that scene, you know, when he pulls out the you hear the gunfire, like the AK-47. Wasn't it Uzi, but... Uh, whatever. But apparently he didn't tell... John Singleton didn't tell the cast <laughs> about that weapon, though he just said, look, in this scene, you've got to jump in the car and drive off. And they just fired the Uzi. So the panic you see on their face apparently is... Fuck. Is real. Appar- like, apparently he questioned Lawrence Fishburne a lot as well about Francis Ford Coppola's process. Oh. 
So he's still trying to learn to be a filmmaker while making this film. Awesome. And so like he was asking like what was his process and apparently um Coppola's process is he reads the script through with the, the actors. But then what he does is then he improvs scenes that are not in the film but are just about the characters to okay. kind of get them more into the character yeah. and kind of feel more at one with their character. And also another interesting fact about the film is it was shot completely in order. Yes. So from the first scene to the very end scene. And I can imagine if you're a young actor and this is your first film. It really helps. It really helps because it's yeah. you feel like you are that character and you're living that life for that period. I know they did that for E.T. I did the kids, for E.T. So that the kids felt... Which, ironically enough, the the uh, the editor of this film edited E.T. Huh. That's a good connection. I know they shot it on location um, in, in the hood. And... Uh, it led to huge issues, like well, yeah, that to they had to block off streets with all the um, the trucks, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, and there was the people were trying to like I think some of the actors lived close to where they were shooting, but they weren't allowed to walk home at night because it was so dangerous for them to walk home and stuff. And well, gangs were trying to get them, the crew, to pay their money to to either protect them sure. or not to attack them. And it's crazy you know that I mean? he's, he's making a film to try and like. Humanize, I guess, is the word. Like people living there, but they're still running up with the same issues there. It's not like this isn't a fantasy. This is absolutely like what was going on, and he absolutely taps into that time period. He doesn't straight out say Crips and Bloods in the film, but they're the the I wouldn't say the enemies, but you know the the other, the other gang, the other group of kids. Yeah, they run around in red. Yeah. They've got red bandanas on and stuff like that. And I don't know because Trey's car's blue, I but love obviously you, that he, car. But he's he's obviously not a, a gang banger or whatever no, you want to no, call no, them. No, really, but, they're just it's just it show, goes to show in the film that to survive in this, you've got to have friends. Like like when they split up, that's when it, there became a problem. You know, you've got yeah because Trey to says have, not to, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, you've got to have people with you and stuff. And you'd think you wouldn't stop to have a piss or scratch your scratch cards though. I wouldn't stop to breathe when you're or... being chased. Like it. It just goes to show that this has ha- probably happened to them before. Yeah. Several times. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's almost... Well, that's the normal. thing with it, when they see the dead body right early on, and I can't remember which person it is. It might be Doughboy, is explaining why the um the, the stuff's uh, are yellow. Because he says, like, that's the, the platelets kind of, like, oxidising and it's, stuff. And it's the plasma, isn't it? Plasma, yeah, it's that's not it. Do- it's not Doughboy. It's the other kid before he moves to his dad's. It's the kid who I think he has the argument with. It just goes to show how used to it they are at that fucking age. Yeah. Like, this is just what's happening around there. What a film. That end bit as well, when they're driving to kind of get revenge, and Trey has got that, he's kind of Lawrence, Larry's Fishburne's words going around in his head, basically, and yeah. he, he goes like, you know, stop, i got to get out. And Doughboy doesn't kind of get angry at him. He doesn't question him. He kind of asks him again. He like, like uh, say it again, and he says it again, and just lets him go. Um, I thought that was so good because the absolute, the absolute default thing and, and boring thing in that situation would be to have them fight over this, like you know, yeah, exactly. You've got to be with it, me and stuff, and they didn't. Like, like Doughboy understands. He, he actually that. respected his. Yeah, yeah, and even afterwards, Doughboy says to him, "Like you shouldn't have been there anyway. Like you know, you can make some." But then he questions can... himself as well. Should I have done that? Yeah, yeah, and like they were saying, "Don't worry, you still got a brother." Like, and I just that was. that was just so smart in that end bit and not to just fall into kind of default kind of tropes of of crime films and stuff and to just do it like to do it to heart 
talking about like the production of it as well i loved the sound design in this film i loved how it's constant like helicopters overhead and oh, gunshots yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 just this constant feeling of like oppression and and like kind of danger almost around them at all times even when they're doing scenes which are like you know loving like the scene with like uh lawrence fishburne in cuba when he's telling him he's getting older and stuff like that and and they're just joking around and stuff and you've got all that kind of hatred just outside the door it's cra- like for us watching it's intense but for them it's they're just so used that's that's their life yeah that's their life so like apparently like when the when the film came out and they went to John Singleton went to the cinema to go and see it because you would wouldn't you you'd go and see your own film at the cinema yeah I would um, he was with some mates and apparently um he saw some bloods at the cinema like going to watch the film and as he was coming out of the cinema he saw some crips and he went to the security guard don't let those people in like escort them out but the security guard just let them in and then John Singleton went to his friends we've got to go now we've got to go so they left straight away and then apparently as they were driving off loads of police cars were going their way to the cinema and there was casualties fuck man and um but but then he goes on to say but and then people were blaming the film for it no. but not realizing that that happens every weekend yeah 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 but then it also made me re- think though that happened recently in in Birmingham, there was a film that came out uh, called Blue Story, okay, yeah. which is almost like a British version of this. Right. And uh, at the um, the View Cinema at the Star City, and, like a massive oh, riot broke out. Yeah. But again, yeah. that film is almost like like the tagline for this film is what increase the peace. And Blue Stories again is about how a young violence, lad I think yeah. tries to avoid being involved yeah. in this, and and it's just again how the media kind of twist it oh, they just they just see young minorities and just they're nothing but criminals to the media that's it and, and this film is so smart about the fact that it's it's just a film about family it's just a film about breaking cycle of hatred it's just a film about poverty it's just a fa- film about society it's it doesn't really matter it's just it and it's just so that's, I found it heartbreaking, actually, the whole film. I found it more heartbreaking because I'm watching it almost 30 years later and I'm thinking, this is just... No one has learned anything from this, ever. You know, we've not changed, we've not improved. Like, and this, He was right when he wrote this and he's right now. And yeah. R.I.P., I mean, it's, it's horrible, really. I mean, like, the first films we uh, spoke about were Jane, Silent Bob, which I'll never watch that again. I'll watch... I'll watch um, Wild at Heart again, but I don't know when. But I could probably watch this. I think I'll watch right this now. Again. Yeah, it's like one of those films. I think that as soon as it ended, I could quite happily watch it again. Put it on again, yeah. I'd definitely be telling people to watch this. Uh, definitely be def- definitely be trying to get people into it. I even noticed when I logged it on um, uh, Letterbox how little amount of logs it's got from people I know. Um, normally, like I follow a lot of film critics, I follow a lot of young critics, people my age and stuff like that, and they had such a small amount of people that have watched it compared to other films as well. And I just wonder if it's one of those films that actually has been a little bit buried, especially in kind of maybe white critics and white communities. Obviously, that's probably most of the people I follow. And I wonder if it'd be nice to kind of 
get it out there more and try and try and make sure people are watching these classics. You know, this is up there with any of Scorsese's crime films for me. I agree. I agree. And it's a nice length as well. It's yeah. about 135 minutes long, so it's a nice... Yeah, 140-ish. It's snappy, like, yeah. So if you're logging on Letterboxd, what are you going to give it out of five? I think... I think... It'd be four, four and a half, easily. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm going to go four and a half. Easily. The, the, the half is docked because nobody looks 17 or... <laughs> I could have to say when I was watching this, the, the two things I kept on thinking of was one, um, GTA Three is just based upon this. Not oh, hundred percent. <laughs> is it GTA C San Andreas? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I played so much of that fucking game. I just played hours of it, and I didn't, I didn't even realize how much of it was just this film. The only thing that annoyed me that game though was like how you have to eat and you yeah. lose weight and stuff. I'm like that's unnecessary. It was so on. easy to lose weight that you just had to rob a bike and just cycle, like just, and then you just got to slim down on the bike, which is exactly how it works in real life. Which is my my svelte figure. <laughs> so, any final thoughts on it, or are you? I'm not sure how much more I can say. Yeah, I think I just think it was. Um, I just think it was wonderful. I think it's a cultural like milestone, really. Just like. Um, that I, I probably will now start seeing references to it I never got before, as well. But it's a shame um, he uh, he never really reached those heights again, John Singleton. I don't think his films after that kind of. And I think Poetic Justice and Higher Learning. I remember being big films. I think Higher Learning especially, but I've not I've not seen them. But I think, to be honest, I think he fell down the kind of white Hollywood. Well, didn't he direct one of the Fast and the Furious films? He did. He did the second one too fast. Yeah, he did Shaft. Yeah, and Four Brothers. Oh yeah, he did do Four Brothers. Yeah, I was a big fan of that Shaft. I actually did like that a lot. They've did haven't they done a sequel to that one on Netflix? Yes, they'd have. Yeah, it's got all three of them in. Yeah, and I think he did a uh, Rosewood. I think he did as well, which is like a historical kind of film based on that. Um, okay, a massacre in Florida. Like a, well, I mean, he had a great career. He did for the shortish career he had. He had a fantastic career. But I think he never reached those kind of. Obviously, he got an Oscar nomination for this, and it's a it's he never a, reached that again, which is a shame. It's a high bar to kind of yeah to kind for of your reach. first film as well. Yeah, it's at twenty four years old. I mean, he's twenty four doing this. I can't believe it. It's twenty four when he did this film. He wrote. He not only directed, he wrote it. That's just just absolutely amazing to me. It's like, I mentioned it earlier, obviously Clerks is Kevin Smith's first film and he was the same age. But it's night and day. Oh, like, God. It's don't get me wrong, Clerks has still got a, a, a special place in my heart. But this film is miles, miles above better. it in terms of visuals, yeah. in terms of what it's going to say, yeah. it's acting. I mean, it did have a slightly higher budget. I mean... Sure. Kevin Smith just made it on his own money, so he could only afford what he could afford. But but script goes a long way. Yeah, I don't think it's often that your first film out the gate is this good. I think this is spe- this is special, right? And I can he did he lost to Jonathan Demme for best director, which honestly that Science of Lambs is fantastic. So it's it's hard to kind of argue that. And Jonathan Demme is an absolute absolute genius i love the guy so it's hard to kind of argue that and i think he lost eight because he did um it was the screenplay as well 
you got um, nominated for, and I'm just looking. Okay. Yeah, he lost to Thelma and Louise for the screenplay, which I think this is a better screenplay than Thelma and Louise. <laughs> I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen Thelma and Louise. Get that on the list. I've seen it, man. No, can't do that. You have to watch some in your own time. Okay, so what's next now? We got a game. Yeah, I figured we got some games. So I was gonna do, I was gonna do the letterbox game this week. Yeah. So the idea is that we did Boys in the Hood this week. So I'm gonna pick out top build person from that, which is Cuba Gooding. Okay. And you're, and I'm gonna see if you can guess his top five films by popularity according to Letterbox. Oh. So. Okay. Um. So, I'm going to go Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is number four. Okay. Ask if you want me to go through them. I think that I don't think they're so. Easy. Boys in the Hood's going to be on there. Boys in the Hood is not in the top five. What? This is why I quite okay. like it by Letterbox because it's not always the films you kind of expect it to be. I'm guessing Snow Dogs or Boat Trip aren't on there. <laughs> no. Um, Men of Men of Honor. That Men of Honor is nowhere near the top. Sorry, <laughs> uh, my cat's running around my room, being uh, podcast cat, what's looking what's the cat mischievous. Called? Is that Spud? What else is he? Do you what? Spud. Isn't that what you call the cat? Spud. No turnip. That's his turnip. name. Okay, not Spud. It's a vegetable. Um, okay, number five is directed by Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Stars Denzel Washington. Came out in 2007. American Gangster? Yep. It's number yeah. five. Sorry, I had my finger in my mouth then. I don't know why I did that. American Gangster. Number four, you got... Um, number three. You're going to get this as soon as I say the director. I didn't know he was in this. Directed by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay. 2013. Don Juan? No, that's yeah, not Don Juan. Is it Don Juan? Yeah. It's apparently Cuba what? Gooding Jr.'s third most popular film. Okay. Last two. Number two. Um, 2014 film. Starring David Oelio. Directed by okay. Ava DuVernay. Oh, I know that. Is he the one who did the the time travel one? Who's doing the new Gods film or something? I think she's doing the new Gods film. Um, 2014. You mean time, don't you? Any other clues? Uh, it's a historical film based on a very, very famous civil rights person. Martin Luther King. Um, I don't know. What's that film? Selma. Selma. Okay. Really good film, actually. An absolute slept on that year. And number one, number one most popular Cuba Gooding Jr. film, 2001, directed by Ben Stiller. Zoolander? Yeah. <laughs> what? When's he in that? I don't know. <laughs> I would have never have guessed that. <laughs> I've no idea who he's in it. I don't remember him in it, but. Okay. So, uh, what's up next week then? Right. So next week we're doing twenty. No, we're not. We're doing nineteen ninety-two. Yep. And I figured we'd have a look at Glengarry Glen Ross. 
Ah. Which is a film that it's one of those films that seems to get quoted a lot by kind of broish quote people. Is that fair? Yeah. So this is the all male cast one. Is that correct? Is it? It's a David Mamet play directed by James yeah. Foley. Is it all male cast? Is that right? I, I, I don't know. I thought that was one of the things about it. Okay. I know it's um. I could be totally wrong. I guess we'll see. I know it's it's got our good friend Al Pacino in it. And is it Alec? I was going to go and do an impression of Al Pacino, but I thought I'd save everybody of, of that. No, I demand you go for it now. I'm trying to do think. The I couldn't then Heath. think of any of his quotes then. It's just people go, Wah! <laughs> <laughs> What's the line from Heat? With great ass. Oh, the great ass. I can't do any impression. That is a great film, though. Oh, I love Heat. We could watch Heat instead. <laughs> like, <no. laughs> For 1992. You are right. I'm looking at the cast, and it's a long way until I see a female name on this list. It's a lot of bald white men. Oh, oh, there's one thing I wanted Kevin to say Spence. about um, about Boys in the Hood. Apparently, it was an all-black crew, apart from the producer. Oh, okay. And uh, John Singleton said, have you got a problem being the only white uh, crew member on the film? And he's like, no, and he goes, good, because you're going to be the only white film, uh, white <laughs> mate, the white member on the film crew. See that's the that's the thing like he's doing... that's the balls he had I thought it was amazing yeah but he's doing what La- Larry's Larry Fishburne's character doing in the film he's not only preaching he's acting what he's preaching so he's giving yeah, jobs 100%. to that community he's not just like like doing it he's he's doing it properly he was doing it correct you know like he's ah oh, I like that film I like John Singleton I think I could talk about this <laughs> film forever. But we can't. That's what we can't. So anyway, uh, we'll see you next week, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, don't forget uh, to add us on Twitter. We are at adjust your track with a YR. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And uh, we'll see you next time. And please, as always, if the picture's bad, don't forget to adjust your tracking. <laughs>